You're listening to a Facts with Fiona Media production. This episode of Facts with Fiona is brought to you by Anchor, podcasting made easy from Spotify. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the third episode of Facts with Fiona. I'm your host, Fiona Moriarty. Happy New Year. It's 2022, and I'm so excited for all the new guests we'll be hosting on the show this year. If you're a fan of following what's happening at our nation's border, you're in for a treat today. It's my pleasure to introduce my next guest, Art Del Cueto, National Border Patrol Council Vice President. Art has been a friend and colleague of mine for quite some time now, and I'm glad everyone will be able to hear from him today on the show. His expertise is unmatched. Not only did he grow up on the border, but he has 20 years of experience under his belt. Art has been with Border Patrol since 2003. His first duty station was Casa Grande, Arizona. Throughout most of his career, he patrols on the Tohoa Oadam Reservation, assisting on numerous drug and smuggling cases. As a representative of the bargaining unit, Art has responded to over 90% of all significant incidents within the Tucson sector, including shootings, accidents, and Asian assaults. For the last 10 years, Art has served as an elected official for the National Border Patrol Council. He also serves as president of the local 2544 in the Tucson, Arizona sector. Art is originally from Mexico, deriving his U.S. citizenship through his father, but grew up in Douglas, Arizona. As a representative of the National Border Patrol Council, he serves as the national spokesperson. Art is also the host of his own show, The Green Line Broadcast, on KNST Tucson and iHeartRadio. I talked to Art about all things Border Patrol and the crisis that has transpired. Let's go to that conversation. Hi, Art. Thanks so much for joining me. So I know you grew up on the border. How did you get started with the department? So I, uh, yeah, I grew up on the border. And I mean, just as as a kid, I remember watching and seeing, uh, you know, Border Patrol agents driving around. And in fact, I was attracted to it. I really liked it. And, you know, just the old Western, the old cowboy thing. I grew up, a, you know, a Lone Ranger fan. And when you see, when you saw the Border Patrol agents back in the day, you know, and, and still to this day, uh, you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere. They wear the cowboy hat. And uh, that's still part of, the, part of the uniform, the official uniform. I will say, though, when I do a lot of these interviews, uh, I do not speak on behalf of the agency at all whatsoever. Uh, you know, I either speak on behalf of myself as just, you know, a concerned individual or on behalf of the National Border Patrol Council. So I don't represent the agency. Okay. So you're just speaking on behalf of yourself? Well, or the, the, of, of, the, of the local, you know, of the union. Uh, what's a typical day for you as National Border Patrol Council Vice President? How involved are you in the day-to-day operations and apprehensions? So it, what's funny is a lot of people, and I thank you for the question, a lot of individuals think that since you're part, you know, you're doing the union stuff, you're not out there in the field. And, and that is far from the truth. So what we still do is we still work the field and, and we still go out there and we're involved in the apprehensions. We still do our regular duties as, as Border Patrol agents. So we're very much in tune and in touch. I, I can't speak for other unions, of course, but, uh, you know, speaking with some friends, I know some other individuals and other law enforcement unions, many times you have their representatives and that's what they do, but they don't really go out there and do the work anymore. And, and I think that's what separates 
this union is that the individuals that are that have the different positions within the executive board, they still go out there, they still work the field. So, you know, my day to day, obviously, it, it starts at different times. A lot of it because you, so you have the East Coast, East Coast times, you know, and, and we were going back and forth before we started, you know, your show today. What time zone am I in? Uh, so I live in Arizona. It's the only state in the entire United States that never changes its time zone. We don't do daylight savings. So, but I work with a lot of individuals in Texas or uh, further in the East Coast. So I got to make sure my day matches their hours and all that. Uh, you know, I do a lot of interviews for different national uh, shows. And when I do that, that's also different because, hey, they need me on at 6 a.m., but it's either 4 or 3 a.m. in Tucson. So, yes. You know, it's just it's nonstop, uh, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm I'm proud to say that I put my cell phone number, my my personal cell phone number, at all the stations. So when agents have issues that they need questions on, they can call me there at night. So uh, I guess I don't have a typical day, to be honest. Yeah, that's amazing that you're making yourself available to the agents. So tensions at the U.S.-Mexico border have heightened over the past few years into a full-blown crisis following these migrant camps and caravans coming to the border. What's the biggest difference between Trump and Biden's handling of the border? Oh, geez. Oh, there's, well, there's, there's many differences. Uh, I guess the biggest one you would have to say is the actual enforcement part. And, okay. you know, just as, as a real story, I don't, I don't want to bore you, you and your listeners with stories, but when the, day one of uh, President Biden uh, taking over. I remember there was a group of about 300 uh, that night yes. that came across, turned themselves in out in the Tucson sector. Uh, shortly after that, there was a large group of unaccompanied juveniles. So to the listeners, when they hear the word juvenile, a lot of them think it's, it's you know, real small ch- children, you know, that you're carrying your arms or five or six years old. Yes. A lot of the juveniles that we, that we're seeing lately they're 16 and 17 years old. Yeah. So they're not like juvenile, little kid juveniles, you know? And I do recall one particular instance when there was one, he was about 10 years old, perhaps. And he had lost this paper. And I went up to him and I asked him, I said, you know, where are you coming from? And he said, well, I'm coming from Mexico. And I asked him, well, how'd you get to the border? Right. Because the area where I, uh, my area of responsibility, it's, it's really remote. It's on the Tahana Autumn Reservation. It's a okay. Native American reservation. And there's really no civilization near it So on either side. So the individuals that cross in that area, they got to travel, you know, in, in the middle of nowhere to get to the middle of nowhere. Yes. And I asked, it, I asked this child, you know, hey, uh, how'd you get to the border? And I remember he looked at me in the Spanish language and he says, well, I didn't drive, stupid. Like that was his response, like complete disregard. And I, I laughed it off a bit. And, you know, I asked him some other questions and he was just very rude. And, and I said, well, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Kansas City. He said, my mom and my dad are already in Kansas City. They've been here for a while. You know, I was in, in Mexico with my grandma. And I asked him why he chose to cross now. And his answer was, he didn't even hesitate. He said, because your president, said i could come here i don't have to go back and there's nothing you can do about it wow 
So that's a big eye opener of the changes during the Trump administration and now during the Biden administration. A lot of people say, well, it's, it's Trump's uh, way of dealing with the border crisis was very inhumane. But when you start looking at the entire situation, President Trump had things in place like the Remain in Mexico, which yes. was Remain in Mexico is huge because not only does it allow the, the United States to vet individuals properly on who can and who can't stay, vet the, the real asylum claims as to the false asylum claims, but it also deters. That's the big issue. It, yes. deters. it deters groups to say, well, if I cross into the U.S., I know I do not have a valid asylum claim. Yes. If I claim asylum, President Trump's policies are not going to allow me to stay. They're going to say, hey, you got to wait in Mexico. So I just won't even go to the border. I won't even try it. I won't even do any of that. Under President Biden, it's more of an open door policy. So everyone thinks that all they have to do is claim asylum. They come across and they're allowed to wait in the United States. So what that does, it increases astronomically. Yes. So right now, you can say the Biden administration may have gone forward and they talk about how we want it more humane, but what they've created is a more inhumane way of doing things. Sex trafficking has increased. The amount of drugs coming into the country has increased. The amount of their minors that are being rented out to other families so they can claim that it's their children and get released, that has increased. It's disgusting. It is, it's, no, it's horrific. And, and you, you, you said a very interesting word when we started, and you described it as the crisis. And it, it, it's beyond crisis. It's chaotic now. But what really had upset me for the longest time is you had so many news outlets out there that were so worried. They wanted that word. Is it a crisis? We want people to admit it's a crisis. You know, I don't care what you call it. You can call it a crisis. You can call it chaotic. You can call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, it's, it's something that needs to be taken care of. It's something that's going to take bipartisan uh, groups bipartisan politicians to work with this together yes have yet you know because we've known each other for a while you know i, I follow you on instagram you follow yes. me and i can tell you this i have yet to run into any individual whether they're right-leaning or left-leaning whether they're a radical on the right or a radical on the left okay all those individuals you lump them together and you ask them do you lock your doors at night do you lock your car door when you go to a supermarket, a mall, a shopping center? Yes. And every single one of them says that they locked it. And why do they do it? Because they don't want people to break into their car, take away their stuff. Exactly. Different on our nation's borders. In the border communities, how have they been affected? Have the border towns and cities become more dangerous due to this influx of migrants? So, so what happens, and, and like I said, you know, I, I grew up on the border. I've been down there my whole life. Yes. Uh, and we was able to see the differences. So there's differences. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of ugly when, when I'm going to, when I'm going to get into, but uh, it, it's funny because I hear a lot of people say, well, have you seen the Netflix special Narcos? And have you seen, I, I've lived it my entire life. I don't need to see it on Netflix. I've seen it all the time. You know, I, I grew up in a very rough town down in Douglas, Arizona. And, and just south of Douglas, right on the border, you have Agua Prieta, Sonora, which is on the Mexican side. And, you know, you would see the drug cartels that were working in various areas. You would see the human smuggling. 
And it's something that you continue to see in the border towns because uh, it's, it's, it's of more value if you are the shot caller within the criminal organizations yes. that are that stationed on the border because you're seeing all the flow. You're taking care of all the money. So, you know, the border is, is dangerous. Just recently, you know, there was a story out in, in Rio Grande Valley. It, I think it was New Year's Day. There was agents that were apprehending a group and somebody from the Mexican side fired uh, gunshots towards them. Uh, they missed them or I don't know if they were trying to shoot them or, or, or warning shots, but they did shoot the vehicle. There was damage done to a, a Border Patrol vehicle. And it's just something that you constantly see, you know, uh, out here. Like I said, the area that I'm used to patrolling is the Tahana Autumn Reservation. So you're looking at 60 linear miles with uh, Mexico on the reservation. So much craziness. I mean, I, I, I've been out there. I, I've seen people standing in the bed of a truck, 20, 20 plus standing. And the cartels or the drug smugglers, people smugglers, they will wrap these individuals in chains so they don't bounce off the truck. And it's just your four wheeling down the hole. So it is dangerous. And, but people need to understand the problem isn't just that. The problem is all these individuals that are coming in, they're coming through the border. But they're going into different areas of the United States. They're not just staying here. They're going into Middle America. They're going into the towns in Wisconsin and Kansas City, Illinois, you know, Utah. They're going everywhere in the United States. And, and it's something that's affecting a lot of individuals. Sure, it's awesome to see the visual, right? You see the visual of all these groups that are coming across. And, and I think that's where you get the first uh, attention so people can see there's a problem. Yes. But you know, just recently, and you know, you and me always keep in contact. So, you know, you had the 16,000 people that were from Haiti that were underneath a bridge. And you don't hear about those 16,000 people. Those 16,000 people, you know, they were released. Where do people think these individuals were released? That's what they I was going to talk States. to you about, too. The demographics of these migrants have definitely changed over the past few years. And I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about where these migrants are coming from. They think it's typically from Mexico or South America and those countries and Central America, but there's really migrants from many different countries. As you mentioned, Haiti, could you elaborate on the recent populations of migrants coming through the border? Definitely. So they've seen, and from what I've been explained and reported, you know, last year, the agency itself, and I really wish the agency would make themselves more available to, to be able to talk to the public freely. And, and, and say what's going on. Uh, they encountered individuals from 162 different countries. So that's a huge eye-opener. And, and of course, a lot of them are of Hispanic descent. Obviously, there's a big group that comes from Central America, a big group that comes from Mexico. But there's individuals that come from Turkey. There's, there's uh, you know, individuals that come from Yemen. There's, uh, you know, all over, uh, all over the world, China, uh, Japan. It's just, you name it. We see it for a while there. We were seeing a lot last year of people that were coming from Cuba and okay. they were crossing. They were crossing down during uh, through El Paso. And I remember questioning uh, some of these individuals, finding out, hey, I mean, why did you come through El Paso? Yes. So they'll go from Cuba to Ecuador because Ecuador doesn't uh, require the passport. And then okay. they said then after that, they just travel by bus till they get to the southern border and come into the United States. And, and they were very open. They said, well, we pay uh, bribes to different, uh, you know, law enforcement officers as we're coming through our different countries. So, I mean, that's 
that's, I mean, they were open about it. They were saying it, you know, wow. we had to lives, we came through. So, and, and even the, the people from Haiti and some of the people that we've seen from Central America, we asked them and a lot of them, they have been living in Mexico for quite some time. Yes. It wasn't like they, hey, I'm going to leave now, you know, Haiti. Go. No, a lot of these individuals, they had already been in Mexico. They were already okay. working there. Mexico had given them, you know, uh, some type of visa to work there. Uh, I just saw a couple reports where the Mexican government is busing some of these people from central parts of Mexico and southern parts of Mexico uh, to the, our southern border so they could facilitate their way in. Unbelievable. And, I mean, that's just... I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, it's it's just, it, it's horrific. And I, I think right now at this point, we have an administration that uh, doesn't care or their hatred towards the last president is, is so huge that they're blinded by that hatred and they don't realize the damage that they're causing this country. Yes. It seems like, are, is your department facing challenges mitigating the crisis when the Biden administration and specifically Secretary Mayorkas is putting up these roadblocks? No, it, it is difficult. I think the big difficult spot for agents when they're out there is, you know, we get bombarded in one area of with illegals that turn themselves in claiming asylum. So now you have to worry about transporting. You have to worry about doing all that. Some of them are unaccompanied juveniles. So you got to find out where you can relocate them. So what that does is it moves resources. So those resources get moved from certain areas on the border to go to processing centers. And they're the cartels up on the hills, you know, with their, you know, binoculars, everything, trying to see what's going on. And they see when agents move out of the area and they take advantage of that. And, And, you know, they'll either bring other individuals that they know will have some kind of hit on the database or they'll bring drugs or they'll do the sex trafficking and everything else. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know, this is the most inhumane, inhumane way to do things right now. And it, it's, it all falls on the hands of this current administration. Yes. So can you walk me through a typical apprehension? Once a migrant is detained, what happens? Are they processed depending on who they are, where they're coming from, their age? So, yeah, it depends on who they are, where their age and everything. Obviously, if it's an adult Central American, you know, they're going to claim asylum right away. Uh, you pretty much and there isn't one. That's the thing. You know, you're usually looking at a group of, you know, 50 plus. Yes. And you've got to you've got to sit there. You got you got to make sure that none of them are carrying any contraband with them, knives, guns uh, or, or drugs or anything like that. And then you pretty much got to sit and wait for transport to show up. Uh, and you got to remember, you're in the middle of nowhere. And, and that's what a lot of people don't realize is uh, the danger that Border Patrol agents face each and every day. Uh, yes. A lot of times it's it and no knock on law enforcement in general or, or regular, you know, cops that work in the cities. I, I'm not trying to knock them. They have their their set of things that they have to deal with, domestics, DUIs and all that. And I get that. But I think the difference is when you're a Border Patrol agent out in the middle of nowhere and you need backup. It's not as easy of, as saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm on the corner of, you know, Sunset Strip and Beverly Hills Drive. You know, you, you yes. have to sit there and say, well, OK, hold on. My my last GPS coordinates were these. Yes. So you got to sit there and you got to and you got to yell out 10 numbers on the radio so they can know where you're at. And when you, and, and hope that, that you yelled out the 10 
correctly and at the same time hope that they they were able to write them down right so that's the difference you know a, a typical arrest with border patrol uh you're in the middle of nowhere and you're you're arresting big groups uh, you know the, the the first group that that i apprehended by myself was a group of 80 individuals and, wow. and my trans- my backup was 45 minutes away that's so how do you not typical how do you handle a situation like this as one officer you, well i mean obviously you know you got to give the right verbal commands knowing the spanish language helps you a lot yes um, fluently is even better right and and you sit there and you and you you give them the commands and you rely on your training and at the end of the day you know you you hope you made your your you hope you told the people you love enough in case something happens, but a yes. lot of it is wishing a prayer and you cross your fingers and hope you get by. Well, that's amazing that you are able to do that. I feel like it's the American people don't really understand how hard it is. These agents are facing this on a day-to-day basis and they're not really understanding what's happening down there. How effective was the border wall in your opinion? Obviously the Biden administration stopped the construction. So what other deterrents is the department relying on to stop the inflow of these migrants? They're, they're not relying on anything right now, unfortunately, to be honest. You know, it's more like counting people as they come across and then you release a report and say these many came across. It, well, it's funny yeah. the apprehension numbers, right? And, and they'll say, hey, well, we apprehended so many, like last year, close to over 2 million apprehensions. But my question to them is, well, out of those, how many did you send back? That's the question you need to ask is how many were sent back, not how many were apprehended. And and then the gotaway numbers, which is something that I don't know, it's probably some kind of mystery. It's, it's kind of like you gotta walk the yellow brick road, find the Oz and hope that he gives you the numbers. The gotaway numbers is just something that, that it's it's horrific. And and not enough people talk about that. You have the border wall that was being built. You have gaps now where it it stopped being built. That's where people are taking advantage and they're coming across. But I will say this, under this current administration, even if the, the wall had been completely built, it wouldn't make a difference. Okay. And I'm telling you, because the individuals that are coming into the U.S., even if the wall wasn't there, they would, they would find areas where they can funnel. If you're not going to send people back, the wall doesn't mean anything. So, and, and to put it in, in just the dumbest terms, I guess, that I can dumbify it. If you don't lock your door at home, your, your lock is useless. People can just turn the knob and, oh, come on in. What we would be facing if the wall was built anyway, because the current administration, it, it's lack of policy. You know, realistically, uh, the, the wall was being built and it was great. But President Trump, with his policies alone, even if the wall would not have been finished and completed because you got all these people that are that are protesting. Yes. It still would have been effective because the policies are what makes a difference. That's what makes a huge difference. Now, I, I want to touch on the gotaways because, as I said, that's something that, I, that I've always harped on. So gotaways are the people that got away. Right? Yes. And what's, what's crazy is Tucson sector, so in Arizona, it leads the entire country when it comes to gotaways. I haven't checked the numbers yet, but I think we were somewhere close to uh, over 40,000 gotaways in the first two months of the fiscal year. And wow. the second closest was under 16,000. And we were at like 
40 something. Maybe it's crazy, right? That's, that's yes. goes. A lot of it is because Tucson sector, the area in Arizona, it's different to patrol than other areas. So in Texas, you're closer to where you can process, you're closer to transport, you're closer to civilization. In Arizona, you, as I mentioned earlier, you have the, the reservation, the Tahanautam Reservation, which is Native American reservation. The illegal aliens that cross through that area, they take advantage of that. The drug smugglers take advantage of that. So when you apprehend a group, sometimes you have to drive two to three hours before you're able to get them to transport and process. Okay. In the meantime, you're leaving gaps on the border because the agents have to travel. The agents have to do the transporting. And, and now the, the smugglers, they take advantage. So that's why you have so many gotaways in this area of Arizona, because you'll see, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll send a big group, they'll move the attention of the agents, and then when they don't see enough there, that's when they start bringing in their people and their drugs. And those are all gotaways that, who are they? I don't know. Where are they going? No one knows their intentions, obviously. It, it, it's crazy. There was a couple individuals that just got arrested recently that were on the terrorist watch list. And it's important is because People need to understand when it is so easy to be able to cross and just claim asylum. Let's put aside whether it's a, it's a valid asylum claim or not, but it's easy to just claim asylum and be released in the U.S. Doesn't that make you wonder? These individuals that aren't claiming asylum and they're going that extra mile, no pun intended, yes. to, to not get apprehended, how devious are they for real? And how horrific is their actual criminal background that they don't even want to be, you know, their fingerprints ran. And that's what's scary to me. Yes. So speaking of those criminals, Border Patrol has apprehended a number of sex offenders at the border in recent weeks, including an Ecuadorian national with prior convictions for aggravated sodomy, child molestation and rape. What is your take on this, and how can Border Patrol crack down on these types of predators entering the U.S.? You know, I mean, at, at the end of the day, when, when you're seeing those, those are the individuals, as I said earlier, those are the individuals that are going that extra step to try to not get caught. Thankfully, they're getting caught. Uh, unfortunately, when you look at the numbers, it's scary because, you know, a lot of them are not getting caught of, of these people. And who are they? How many of them would have the same you know, circumstances as these people? That's what's scary. You know, at the end of the day, we have to, you know, make criminals face consequences for what they're doing. Yes. And, and I don't think that's enough, especially when you're seeing, you know, people from the other part of the country, if they're, if they've been arrested for that before and they come across, then they need to serve a serious jail term when they get recaught. It could, it can't be something as much as a month and then send them back. I understand the taxpayer money, you know, that people say, well, you don't want to spend taxpayer money on these individuals in prison. If you just keep sending them back, they're just going to keep coming across until they eventually get in. So, you know, these individuals have to be seriously incarcerated. Yes. So is there a different process once they're incarcerated, these specific sex offenders? Do they go to federal facilities? So everyone that gets detained has to go through the federal facility until they're able to, you know, pass through the vetting and then they get released. Uh, but a lot of these individuals that have these uh serious uh, criminal backgrounds they get looked at from the judge the judge makes the determination whether they make you know lifetime deportation many times these guys already have a lifetime deportation because they have that on their record it's called a crime of immoral turpitude but as you can see you know they they try to cross again so you know what good is it to just keep sending them back if they're just gonna keep trying to come across exactly 
human trafficking. How does that play a role in the border crisis? That's the bread and butter. That's actually what you see each and every day is the human trafficking, the sex trafficking. You see that. Uh, and, and, and as I said earlier, under the current administration, the drug traffickers and the human smugglers that operate near the border, they see what happens in the United States. They see what, you know, the current president talks about policy wise. Yes. They see the movement of agents from one area to the other. And, you know, they, they see the gaps. You know, it, it's crazy because, look, I'm not the be all end all. I'm not. But I've been here my entire life. I've been in law enforcement on the border for over 20 years. And I've paid attention and I study and, you know, I'm, I'm so wrapped into it, trying to see, you know, what's going on and what's happening. But not everyone's got that. Not everyone's been, a lot. some people come, they, they get the job, they'll work here for 20 years and no knock on them. They'll, they'll work the job. And yes. Fantastic individuals at their job. But then you start looking at the criminal element and the cartels and the human smugglers. These are people that their grandparents were doing it. And then their parents, and then the, the criminals that are involved in either drug smuggling or human smuggling, they got decades upon decades of experience. And, and it's a lot of money for them. So, and, and they don't care about a retirement. So we're up against, you know, individuals that are, are top notch at being criminals. There's been a historic amount of fentanyl seized in 2021 alone. How drugs smuggled across the border make their way into American cities and communities such as Baltimore and New Orleans? It, you know, a- any way they can do it. They have their routes. They have the way they do it. They either do it by bus. They drive them all the way up there. They fly them any way they can. You know, obviously through the border itself, it comes across uh, in gaps. Sometimes it comes through the ports of entries. It's just the luck of the draw. Um, and you got to remember fentanyl, you can pack it tighter in, 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 you know, more crammed spaces. And it just takes a little bit to, uh, to get across. So it, they, these individuals, as I say, they've been operating for decades upon decades upon decades. They know the routes. They know how to do it, how not to do it. And they've, they take full advantage of, of many of those things. You know, it would be by bus. They drive it themselves. Or, you know, sometimes they'll try to figure out how to get it on a plane. Is COVID-19 affecting migrants and Border Patrol like agents are facing these vaccine mandates by the Biden administration while migrants are flooding into the U.S. unvaccinated? What are your thoughts on this double standard? And are the migrants being tested or vaccinated once they enter? All right. Fantastic question. So. You know, the, the vaccine mandates, it's, it's been crazy hectic trying to deal with it. I get a lot of messages from, from individuals, uh, both, you know, agents from all over the country, reporters, people that are talking against it, everything. And they say, well, what's the union? How come the union hasn't done anything? And so I want to thank you, first off, for asking that question. Um, the, the, there's a lot of difficulty with that. So as far as the mandate, I, I would just be completely open. I don't like it. I don't think it's right. I just don't. But there's what I think is right. There's what I believe is just. And then there's what's the law. And unfortunately, we have spoken to numerous attorneys 
from different law firms, and they've all said that the mandate itself is not against the law. So that's where the, the big obstacle is for us, right? Do I agree yes. with it? Do I think it's right? No. Is it just in my eyes? No. It's, I don't think it's just in a lot of people's eyes. But we deal with what's within the law. Is it okay for individuals to come across, claim asylum, be it false asylum, and get released in the United States? No, of course it's not. But is it is it legal? And unfortunately, it is legal right now. And and it's the same with you know President Biden's mandate. Unfortunately, it's legal. And it, it but it's horrific because at the same time that agents are being mandated to put a foreign substance in their body, you're catching groups of 300 plus. They're not even being asked for their regular immunization record. Some of these individuals don't have their tuberculosis shots. They don't have measles shots. Heck, we recently we saw uh, there was a report of smallpox and they don't have any of their shots. So they're, they're spreading they're, these communicable diseases that aren't even COVID. Correct. Yeah. Let's not, let's just put COVID on the side for a second. It's every other disease that, that, that they're not vaccinated for that, that for vaccines that actually do cure the disease that are coming across and being released. And, and what was even more hypocritical to me to watch is growing up on a border state, there was so many businesses that shut down because they were dependent on the legal migrants that come into the United States. They purchase products in the U.S. They spend their money. You know, you see it in the malls and supermarkets. And then they would go back to Mexico. Okay. Those individuals, even if they were vaccinated, Okay, the ports of entry were shut down for over a year. So those businesses on the border, they they collapsed because they didn't have the income that they would have. So there was businesses that had family owned businesses that have been around for years, decades. They were shut down because of this, you know, the covid situation, because they wouldn't allow individuals to legally enter the United States, all the while they were releasing over a million illegals into the United States with not so much as any type of immunization record. And the reason I always stress the word legal and illegal is because you have a lot of members within the media that they just say immigration, or they'll just say you're anti-immigration, you're pro-immigration. Look, I am 110 percent pro-immigration but there's a difference between legal immigration and illegal immigration and the media seems to forget that little word of legal or illegal yes so once an illegal immigrant enters the u.s illegally how does the u.s go about charging them and how long does that court process really take well, I mean, it's a short process for the for the most part. As I said, now they're all claiming asylum, so they're not really getting charged with anything. You know, you're you're detaining them. Uh, an asylum officer determines that they uh, an asi- uh, the judge, immigration judge, has to see the case. So then they get released, and you wait until the judge decides whether you know their asylum claim is valid or not. A lot of times, that takes up to you know years. A lot of times. 
So sometimes we've seen the cases of where these individuals that enter illegally, they, they actually do show up to their court case, some of them, right? So the ones that show up and you'll get the immigration judge to say, well, you know, you don't qualify. But I realize that you've been in the U.S. for quite some time. So I'm going to give you a week or two to get your affairs in order. But just know you're going to have to be deported. Well, they're not going to show up in a week or two. They're, they're just going to split. Yes. And, and now there's a lot of lawless going on. on the- this is withholding the release of its 2021 annual report. This report details the number of illegal immigrants removed from the U.S. and it's typically released in the final weeks of the year. Right. According to the Free Beacon, ICE is in its final review of the annual report, and the release is expected this month. Why do you think the Biden administration is withholding the report for the first time in a decade? I, I, don't, I don't know. I hate to do the conspiracy theory questions. Uh, I can give you my opinion. And I think it's because they don't want to shock people as badly as it's really going to be. It's, I think it's going to be worse than people even believe it is uh, because we've seen it before uh, of how many individuals are getting released anyway. And, and I think that's what it is. And, and, and then they're going to have to have the question of these people that you released, do you know where they are? And, and unfortunately, the, the question that's going to come out of their mouths is we don't know where they're at. Uh, so I, maybe they're waiting for another crisis, Fiona, before they release it. That way they can slip that underneath. You know, I don't, I don't know, uh, but it is frustrating. You know, you said this is we're, we're nearing the end, Fiona. I want to thank you for for taking the time. I know I'm hard to get a hold of at times, but but thank you for for taking the time and being patient with me and having me. Of course, me here. thank uh, you. you. Know? And, and my final question for you is: What do you think it's going to take to finally defeat this border crisis? I mean, obviously, you can't end it all together, but do you think a new administration is step in really fighting this crisis? You're going to have to get a new administration in. You're going to have to uh, really clean the swamp. You know, you hear that all the time. Hey, let's drain the swamp. When I heard that uh, the very first time, uh, the very first thing that came into my mind is we can start by DHS, CBP, and, and the Border Patrol swamp itself. This is where I get in trouble, right, when I say these things. But look, as I said, I don't speak on behalf of the agency. I never claimed to do. I speak on behalf of, you know, the, the, the National Border Patrol Council. We represent the boots on the ground. And I can tell you, it's very frustrating when I see uh, even some retired guys. And I don't want to knock on anyone and mention names. But you see a lot of these individuals that, you know, they, they've been in CBP. They've been in DHS. They've been Border Patrol chiefs for a while. And, you know, now they've retired or they've gone on to greener pastures. And you see them on a lot of the news uh, reports and you see them in the media and they're saying, well, this is the problem, this and this and that. And, and I sit here and, and it kind of makes me, it used to frustrate me. Now it makes me laugh because, you know, you have individuals in the National Border Patrol Council. We've been speaking up since day one. We've been under investigations. We've been threatened with being fired. But we still speak up because it's the right thing to do. And you have a lot of people within the agency and, administ- and the administration, once they're retired, once they secured their retirement, they secured their end of your bonuses. All of a sudden, they're out there in the media saying, well, this needs to be done and this should be done. Well, my question to them is, where were you when you could have affected change? You yes. Know, you can have a big game now that you secured everything. So I think that's what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to have a new administration and you're going to have to really truly clean house and see who was in it for real and who was just in it, you know, for the photo op and to bump up their career and resume for when they retire. 
Exactly. So thank you again, Art, for doing this. You and your department are really the unsung heroes. And you have this thing on your social media and this message, agents' voices must be heard. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I hear all the frustration. And, you know, even the agency's PIO, they don't do enough. And I think they get ignored too much, Fiona. Uh, Agents get ignored way too much. You know, I, I say it many times before I speak in a lot of events, you know, we, a lot of us, we have our families, we have our kids, our kids go to school, they hear, you know, the horrific things that are said about the agents and, you know, the racial slurs that they throw at us for the job that we do. And it, it sounds so corny, but it's the truth. At the end of the day, you have agents putting their lives on the line. We, we hug our loved ones extra hard before we leave because we don't know if we're going to make it home. And all we want is our voices to be heard and at the same time for the people in America to love us at least half as much as we love this country. That's all we're asking for. Yes. Thank you so much again. And I'm so glad we were able to have you on the show to really show what these agents are facing on a day-to-day basis. Thank you so much. It was a huge pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Facts with Fiona. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. And for more behind-the-scenes footage of the show, visit us at factswithfiona.com and follow me at Fiona Moriarty on Instagram and Facts with Fiona on Twitter. See you next week.